0: You know, uh, I've been working on a series of messages, a bunch of different messages, and it's really weird because I would think that I'd be backed up because i am got more weight on me than ever before as far as having several messages a week I have to have done, but it's actually kind of strange because it's like the Lord's been really giving me abundant grace and mercy because there's so many... Uh, I've been spending, trying to spend a lot of time with Him in prayer, and the more I seek Him, the more just my heart just is bursting with just a love... For his truth and a desire to get certain truths out there that I believe are neglected in the day in which we live, and the name of this message is because I was working on another message which is related to this, and this was kind of a subsection of that message. And as I worked on this subsection of that message, and I'd worked on this section before many a time, but I decided to make it a subsection of a broader message. I thought, you know what, this subsection is just too long, and it's just too good. It's just too vital. That I just think I'm going to preach this subsection, which is really an entire message. It's 10 pages long, OK? Uh, but it's a message, and I think it's one of the most important messages that the body of Christ needs to hear today. And it's, uh, it' asks the question: Is repentance necessary for salvation? Is repentance necessary for salvation? If you would have asked that question in the early church period for the first few centuries of church history, uh, it would be, of course, you know. Of course, the only people who would have probably denied that in the first few centuries were the Gnostics, you know, which were the biggest uh, enemies of the early church period. And it's interesting, today you have a lot of strange teachings about repentance. It's been watered down. And of course why not? That's exactly what the scriptures warned about. The scriptures warned about that there would be people who would tickle people's ears and tell them what they want to hear. And many people don't want to hear that they need to repent. They need to have a change of heart, a change of mind about the Lord and who he is and about their sin and, and uh, to turn from that sin as a fruit of repentance and embrace the Lord for salvation through faith in Christ. It's not a popular message. So many Thousands of churches, tens of thousands, most churches would claim they believe in repentance. But they just simply don't preach it. They ignore it because they can have it on as part of their statement of faith, but they don't want to make people uncomfortable with their lives. If you've been uh, uh, under my teaching for any time through the last 30 years as a pastor and many years before that as an evangelist and also a Bible teacher, uh, you know that I'm not really concerned about hurting people's feelings as much as I love and I'm sensitive to people on a personal individual basis I'm more concerned about your soul being eternally hurt in the lake of fire so I will preach repentance and since we know the scriptures warn that in the last days terrible times will come and Paul says and people have a form of godliness but deny its power so there'll be many people that claim to be Christians have a form of godliness you know but they deny the power thereof they're lovers of self they love pleasures more than they are lovers of God. They're idolaters. Uh, And that's why Jesus said in those days, those last days especially, you know, the last judgment, many will say, Lord, Lord, you know, we do many wonderful things in your name and cast out demons and do miracles and so forth. They'll say, I never knew you. And he says that they did not do the will of the Father. He calls them workers of lawlessness. In other words, they continued in the rebellion against God and regard to the choices they lived. They did not do the will of the father and the this is a huge problem today in the church because you have millions of people i mean I, i'm sorry but i hear it all the time we have so many people when they move to another state i over and over and over again i get the phone calls sometimes the point of tears that they can't find a church that actually teaches repentance where people are actually living for the lord and whole churches are full of just people that are chasing women and, and drunkards and everything and, and cursing and all kinds of and just evil lifestyles. And, and they're like, what is going on? And I think sometimes we take a lot of things for granted, right? We, we we got a close fellowship. We're following the Lord. There's a lot of people serious about the truth. And it's getting harder and harder to find. It's like what the scriptures talk about, the gold of Ophir, you know, rare. The truth would be, you know, uh, it applies to this time as well because, it's there, the, It's there, but f- few people will go into God's Word and mind it. Few people will accept it. So, uh, what's uh, it's really tragic because you have repentance being redefined. It's either, re- either redefined to just be a mental assent, to just, you know, just like kind of like the same thing as faith. You know, you just believe. You have a mental assent, you know, that Jesus is the Christ or, or Lord in your mind, but you don't have to turn to Him. You can... It's optional. You can believe in him, but you don't have to repent. You can be, they say, a savior, many of them, but he doesn't have to be your Lord. And repentance doesn't entail, and the fruit of repentance is not the turning from sin. Others will say, yes, it's turning from sin. That's what repentance involves, turning from sin. And I personally, we teach and we believe, we understand that repentance is, turning from sin is the fruit of repentance, that repentance is a change of heart and a change of mind that leads to a change of direction and leads to turning from sin. But the act or the, the repentance in itself is a change of heart and mind. And the fruit of repentance is the turning from sin and, uh, and, and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as the Bible says and warns, faith without works is what? Dead. So, f- so repentance without fruit is dead. Faith without works is dead. Now, you're not saved by those works, amen? But if your faith has no works, no evidence, James is telling us in chapter 2 of James, it's dead. Faith without, Repentance without fruit is dead. It's not the works that save you. Faith saves you, but works are the evidence of faith. It's not the fruit that saves you. It's repentance and faith. True re- Faith cannot happen without repentance, and true repentance cannot be there without faith. Not biblical repentance and faith because you have to understand the nature of what it means to repent in the heart and the nature of what saving faith is. And it's really, really tragic, you guys, because my son, Josiah, he'd been on a lot of mission trips around the world with us, several countries. There came a time when he said, I just want to go on a mission trip by myself with nobody I know and just an adventure for the Lord where I could just win people to Christ, just serve Jesus, whatever he wants to do with me. And he wanted myself and my wife my, my my wife and myself to uh put the spot on the map you know where it would be and that was some pressure so we were praying about but he wanted to be totally disassociated with anybody we knew so we knew from say, you know some safe uh missions we could send him on but it was like okay let's get something totally new and we found a mission that seemed pretty strong and they were strong in some of their beliefs of course but uh we went through their statement of faith and of course they stated that they believed in repentance, right? That they taught repentance. Sure enough, when Josiah went on that mission trip, I think it was for almost two weeks or so, he was able to lead hundreds of people to Christ. So it was awesome. He was speaking in schools and everything. And, but it was heartbreaking because they tried to put a muzzle on him and told him because they found out that he was telling people you know that Jesus said you must repent or you'll perish and they said we don't believe in repentance we don't believe you have to repent to be saved and they forbade him to use the word repentance to teach repentance and uh, they had a little meeting in with all the other people that were part of that mission team and clarified their view that they didn't believe that the Bible teaches that you have to repent to be saved they have to repent to have eternal life and he was warned and it became a kind of a thing in their group. Poor guy. He was anywhere you guys want to send me, man. Woo. And my, he called. He let me know. Uh, Dad, you know, I should say we, we text back and forth. It was hard to get phone calls. But my wife was in tears. Lisa was in tears saying, look what we've done. Look where we sent him. And I tear up far quicker than she does. But I wasn't in tears for him. I was rejoicing. I said, hey, this is a good thing. Because he knows the scripture. He's showing me the scriptures he's sharing with this, this, the guy that's heading up this mission trip. And the guy doesn't have answers. The guy's like, well, what about this? Instead of dealing with the text, I go, this is one of the best things. This was about his spiritual growth. It's one of the best things that could happen to Josiah. And it, it really was because he came back and he realized, wow, because he's been among a lot of believers, amen, who know the truth, who walk in the truth, who teach biblical repentance, biblical faith, you know, uh, obedience to the lord and so forth and and now he was able to get a bird's eye view and he said this is what you've talked about dad through the years boom i was right there watching it happen but uh he's wise josiah is very wise and when he continued to they continued to let him preach as long as he didn't preach repentance but guess what he did he said he had a translator because the the, the the translator he said would always read the, would always translate the scripture So whenever he went to a scripture the translator could never say well you can't use the bible so he just go to scriptures and read them about turning to the lord about repenting and the translator would just quote him he couldn't say he was wrong right so that's how he got around that and still preached the gospel but i'll tell you what guys i want to ask you a question if somebody told you hey can you prove to me from the bible that you must repent to be saved Would you know where to go? Have you studied to show yourself approved a workman that needeth not be ashamed whereby you would know where to go in the scripture? And don't be ashamed because if you're thinking, man, I'm not sure. Well, that's why we get together, right? That's why we're here. We're studying to show ourselves approved right now, amen? We're getting the word together. I'm not gonna give you one or two verses. I'm gonna give you... Almost an hour's worth of verses, okay? It's throughout the New Testament from the very first book of the New Testament, Matthew, to the very last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, that repentance is necessary for salvation. Now, when we talk about repentance, we're talking about a turning from in our heart, a a, a turning, a, a decision in our heart to turn from sin and rebellion against God toward the living God to exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Go, if you will, please, to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. When you get there, go to verse 12. The author of Hebrews has been talking about Melchizedek. He's getting into how Melchizedek is a picture or type of Christ. He says he wants to go deeper into that study, but he says he can't because his audience isn't ready for it mentally because they're still babes in Christ and they can't understand what he wants to share with them. It's kind of a bummer because we'd have a lot more about Melchizedek and the typology of Melchizedek uh, if they were more studious and more pressing on into the word, this, this uh, Christian group that he's off, uh, writing to. And in Hebrews 5, he says he wants to say more, but he talks about how they're still on milk. They're not on solid food and they need to grow in verse twelve, we read: For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who, because of the practice, uh, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Unfortunately, most of the church those who are born again are in their spiritual infancy even after many years they ought to be teachers They ought to be sharing the word with others but they're still drinking milk out of a bottle they're still swinging their rattle even though they've been proclaimed to be saved for 10 15 20 or 30 years it's really heartbreaking it's even worse today than it was among the audience of the author to the hebrews but then he goes on to talk about the elementary things of the faith the abcs of the faith in fact it could be translated that way That they need to go beyond the ABCs of the faith. They need to understand the ABCs of the faith and go on beyond them. And they aren't. And guess what? Repentance falls into the ABCs of the faith. Unfortunately, most Christians today don't even understand what repentance is. How it's a change of heart and a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. Metanoia is the Greek word. And most don't know what it is. But in chapter 6, the very next verses, right after chapter 5 in Hebrews. We read, therefore, leaving the elementary teachings or teaching about the Christ. Let us pass on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of what? Repentance from dead works. The foundational teaching of the gospel is repentance from what? Dead works and of what? Faith toward God. Do you notice that? The foundational teaching, the ABCs of the faith that we're supposed to be able to go beyond, but most of the church doesn't even understand, is repentance from dead works. Dead works are your sin. Repentance from sin and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Notice what comes first, repentance or faith. Come on, it's real clear right there. In fact, a few different times you see repentance and faith in the same verse. Every time you see it, repentance precedes faith. Objectively you have to have a belief of who the Lord is to have re- to repent. But you cannot subjectively put your trust in him in a saving way until you first repent. So I can understand Jesus is Lord and I have to make a choice whether I'm going to rebel and continue to rebel against him or whether I'm going to turn from my rebellion against him and put my faith in Christ. So that turning from sin is the choice to say, hey, I'm turning from a life of rebellion against God. I'm turning from that broad road that I'm on that leads to destruction to the straight and narrow one, to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm going to put my faith in Him, my trust in Him, in His finished work on the cross, amen? And, and His death for my sins, and His burial, His resurrection, His triumph over death. So I'm saved by grace through faith, and that not of myself, it's a gift of God, not of works so lest anyone should boast. Yet, if I'm going to be saved by grace through faith, through trusting him, I must what? I must turn in my heart from rebelling against him, amen, and turn from, notice it says turning from, notice it very clearly says, very, very clearly says, therefore leaving the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on toward maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance, what? Repentance, what's the very next word after repentance? Repentance. From. Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. So repentance is turning from in your heart a life of rebellion against God and turning toward Him and putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I cannot have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not biblical defined saving faith. Unless what? I turn what? I repent what? From. Just like you can't come you can't go to Hawaii if you're in Vegas unless you leave what? Unless you leave Vegas. So they go together. The leaving and the going are two parts of the same coin. The turning from and trusting in f- repentance and faith are two parts of the same coin. I did not want to spend a lot of time defining repentance today because I want to show you a ton of scriptures that talk about how salvation, how without repentance, you can't be saved. If you refuse to. Re- uh, If you refuse to quit rebel, if you refuse to stop rebelling against the Lord and doing your own thing and shining Him on and living for yourself, you can't exercise saving faith. It's that simple. So let's look at some scriptures, beginning in Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, all the way to Revelation, a survey, because I searched, and I'm I'm sure I've missed some, but I've searched the scriptures through for the scriptures that tie repentance into salvation and it is dizzying because there are so many it's made so clear and if this wasn't a controversy I would not emphasize and underscore this so much because it is a controversy and you have people out of Dallas Theological Seminary considered a bastion of solid biblical teaching by many many people teaching leaders that have come to teach that, well, repentance doesn't mean you actually have to turn from sin. It just means you, you believe in Jesus in your mind, and they, they, they just basically empty repentance of his meaning to where people have never turned from their sins, and they're dead in their sins. And some of their leaders have taught, and this is not just Dallas Theological Seminary, it's elsewhere as well. And by the way, there's other people on the faculty there at Dallas Theological Seminary that, which would disagree with these teachers too, to be fair. But some of them are teaching, some of these leaders, and it's widespread. Their teachings are widespread through hundreds and hundreds of churches, thousands probably, that you don't need to repent to be saved. Heartbreaking. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, very first book of the New Testament. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, guess what? If you want to get into the kingdom of heaven, you need to what? Repent. Then in verses 7 through 10, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham, the axe is already laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Tell me that repentance has nothing to do with salvation here. Then you're telling me a lie. Because they must repent and bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Meaning they have genuine repentance that bears fruit and shows that they've truly turned from their sin and they're embracing, embracing the gospel. And if they're not, well... The tree is already laid to the root of the tree, and the tree, every tree that does not bear fruit, will be thrown into the fire and burned. In Matthew 4, 17, speaking of Jesus preaching repentance in the kingdom of God, says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, so you better what? Better repent. Amen. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now, after John had, had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, preaching the gospel of God, saying, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe the gospel by the way you see believe and repent in the same verse there too right just like in hebrews chapter 6 the first couple verses it's in which one comes first again repent and believe in the gospel amen i must be willing to in my heart forsake that broad road and turn in my heart to embrace jesus and trust him you guys <laughs> repentance is necessary for salvation why because salvation is in christ it's that simple amen unless i turn to christ in my heart amen and embrace him who is the life i can't have the life are you with me do you understand that it's that simple i'm going this way jesus over here saying come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden i'll give you rest and so forth. i'm going this way i have to make a decision he's the life he says, i'm the way the truth and life first john he says i am the eternal life Amen. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 12, life is in the Son. Amen. He that has the Son has the life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. He's the life. He's the resurrection life. Until I turn away from this broad road and turn to Him and put my faith in Him, I can't be saved. That's why repentance is necessary. Repentance simply describes an act of the will, an act of the heart, a volition to turn from rebelling against Him to put your faith in Him. And faith means trust. It's a cinnamon for trust. That means I'm leaning into him. Amen? That means I'm trusting in him. Amen? You guys are all sitting on chairs out there. You're trusting on the chairs that you went to sit on. You had enough faith in those chairs to hold you up. Amen? And not buckle and just drop. Okay? When you exercise faith in Jesus, not to hold you up physically. It's to hold you up spiritually. To wash you. To cleanse you. To reconcile you to the Father. Amen? To wipe away your sins and declare you righteous through faith in Christ. Amen? But I can't have faith unless I what? lest I turn and trust him. <sighs> Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. Mark two seventeen. And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not call the righteous, but sinners. He called sinners to repentance. Okay? Twice we read that Jesus warned within the span of just a few verses that unless you repent, you shall all likewise what? Perish! I, I don't know how much clearer it can get. You have to repent, or you'll perish. Luke thirteen three and verse five. I tell you no. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Verse five. I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What well, said like the same thing twice? Yeah, he wants to get it through their heads. He wants to get it through our heads as well. Luke fifteen is all about repentance. You know, we've got the lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son. In Luke fifteen seven. Jesus gives all these teachings, and one of, the, one of the main emphases is the need to repent. And in verse 7, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In Luke 15, Jesus describes the prodigal son coming to his senses and turning back to his father. When he came to, when he came to his senses, that's when he had a change of heart, a change of mind, which led to a change of direction. And he comes back to his father, and guess what his father says? His son was dead, but now he's what? Alive. But when he came to his senses, Luke 15, verse uh, 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here in hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Then the father proclaims, quote, for this son of mine was dead, but has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. He wasn't physically dead. He was spiritually dead, and repentance restored him to life. In fact, it's very interesting, after a whole chapter where Jesus underscores repentance with the prodigal son and so forth, in chapter 16, he talks about the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man didn't regard the Lord at all. He didn't fear God. He didn't think about God, apparently, and he just lived lavishly and didn't ever help anybody else, apparently. And there's a, a, a poor man, Lazarus, competing with the dogs for the crumbs from his table. And he's fighting for these crumbs against dogs. And he's got, he's got sores everywhere and so forth. And, and they both die. And the, the, the poor guy, he is transported by the angels into paradise, Abraham's bosom. But there's a chasm between paradise and Hades, the place of torment. And this is before Jesus died on the cross and this place of paradise, uh, nobody had ascended to the Father, the scriptures say yet. So Jesus hadn't died for their sins, so they could not, when you died, you were separated from God still until the sins would be paid for by Christ on the cross. Then, that, then paradise was emptied. But while there's this chasm between the two places, this rich man wants Lazarus, wants Abraham to send Lazarus to go preach to his brothers. Guess what? His doctrine was better than Most of these teachers that teach these false doctrines that you don't need to repent. Listen to the scripture in Luke chapter 16, verse 27 through 30. And again, then I, and he said, that is the rich man to Abraham, then I beg you, father, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that they may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he, the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He understood that. This is Jesus teaching in this story. Jesus doesn't give this guy a false teaching. Jesus lets us understand that the guy knew they need to repent. By the way, let's not, be more, let's not be less evangelical among our family members. Amen. Than this guy in Hades. Amen. Let us care about our family members and warn them to repent before it's too late amen you know it's interesting because in Luke 24 when Jesus gives a great commission picking up at verse 45 Luke chapter 24 verse 45 he gives a great commission and we know the great commission is whoever believes right John chapter 16 or Mark 16 right preach the gospel to every all creation or every creature right amen and we look at it in Matthew make disciples of all nations amen all ethnic groups go to them and and, and teach them to be learners of Christ. And if they don't listen to, in one place, wipe off their feet and go to the next. But in Luke 24, he gives us a little more detail on what he taught when he gave the Great Commission before he ascended to the Father. And we read this. In verse 45, he then opened his, their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, Christ would suffer and rise again from the, uh, from the dead on the third day. Okay, that's the good news, the gospel. And that what? Listen to this. And that repentance... For forgiveness of sins. Do you catch that? That repentance for forgiveness of sins. Repentance is tied to the forgiveness of your sins. Amen? That repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. In John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, Jesus said to Nicodemus, when Nicodemus wanted to know what it meant to be born again, because Jesus said you must be born again into the kingdom of God, Jesus brought it up. He goes, how do I do this? I come out of my mother's womb again. He's being facetious probably. And then Jesus tells him in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. And in verse 17, he said, He didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him may be what? Saved. But then he goes on to warn, This is the condemnation that they did not believe in the only begotten Son of God. And he said, this is the condemnation that they didn't come to the light. They refused to come to the light, lest their deeds would be exposed. Okay, John chapter 3, verses 19 uh, and 20. He says this condemnation that light has come to the world, but men love darkness rather than light. And they refuse to come to the light, lest their deeds would be exposed. So in the Gospel of John, he talks about how they refused to come to the light. They refused to repent. And in John chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus says, Walk in the light while you have the light, for the time will come when the light will not be here. So some say, oh, well, in the Gospel of John, you don't see the word repentance used. You don't need to use the word repentance, amen? You could just talk about turning from light to darkness. That's repentance, amen? That, that, that shows you the fruit of repentance or the, the, uh, the activity of that change of heart, that change of mind. And they were condemned because they refused to turn from darkness to light and become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts... And you see the actions of the apostles. They're given these great commissions to preach repentance the remission or the forgiveness of sins, right? But what do they do? Just that. In Acts 2, 38, 38, Peter said to them, repent the day of Pentecost. Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And by the way, if you refuse to be baptized, you have to wonder if you have, have you really repented. If, if you know that Jesus commands you to be baptized, and you just, oh, it's no big deal. Well, guess what? Jesus says, if... You love me, keep my commandments. He says, why do you call me Lord and not obey what I say? I'm encouraging you if you haven't been baptized, repentance, the fruit of repentance, one of the fruits is baptism, to identify with Christ. Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's powerful. Now I can show many people throughout the Gospels when Jesus preached the Gospel and the but the sinner beats his chest and look up, up to God. He says, "God have mercy on a sinner." He's forgiven of his sins before baptism. I can show you a thief on the cross. He's going to paradise. He's never baptized. I can show you Cornelius received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and had the Holy Spirit. Was even speaking in tongues. And Peter says, "Since he was saved, he too could be baptized." So I can show you. Yeah, salvation comes before baptism. But guess what? If salvation has come to you, you'll want to be baptized. You ought to want to be baptized, or then you're slipping into rebellion against the Lord. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away. Did you catch that? Repentance is tied to the wiping away of your sins. Acts three nineteen, Peter's preaching to other Jews, fellow Jews, and he says, Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped out, in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In Acts chapter 11, quite awesome, verse 18, we read this, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Did he catch that? The repentance that leads to what? Life. Do you see over and over again repentance is tied to re- entering the kingdom? Repentance is tied to not perishing and not being cut off and thrown in the fire and being burned. That repentance is tied to life. That repentance is tied to the forgiveness of sins. That's what all these verses are showing. You just have to blot out all these verses and ignore them. And that's what many do to teach that you don't need to repent in acts chapter 17 verse 30 paul is preaching to the athenians on mars hill and he's telling them this is the apostle paul the apostle of grace okay the one who said we're saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves it's a gift of god not of works as anyone should boast the apostle paul preaching to the athenians in chapter 17 verse 30 of acts says therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance god is now declaring to men that all people that all people everywhere everywhere should repent Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 20, Paul says that he's free from the blood of all men. Because teachers will have, it says, a stricter judgment. And they will give an account for the souls that they minister to. And Paul says he's free from the blood of all men. Because like Ezekiel, who's God told him, the blood of those who you fail to warn will be on your head if you don't warn them. Paul said he's free from that blood because he said, I did not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. And part of that counsel was preaching repentance door to door. Acts chapter 20, verse 20 and 21 and verse 27. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, do you see repentance and faith in the same verse again? Which one was first, by the way? Repentance (laughs) Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this time it's faith toward God. I'm sorry repentance toward God of faith it's because when you are leaving you are also what moving what toward God you see that's beautiful Acts chapter 26 verses 19 and 20 Paul preaching before King Agrippa uh, makes it clear sums up a lot of his teaching, saying in verse 19 so King Agrippa I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision it's when he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a leading uh, Jewish leader. Awesome Uh, position he was given. Having Christians arrested, other Jewish believers arrested. And uh, having some of them even put to death like Stephen, right? But then when he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul, who wrote half the New Testament about, about half the books, his life was radically transformed. He says, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those in Damascus, of Damascus first, and also at Jerusalem. And then throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent. That they should repent and turn to God. Performing deeds, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. In other words, like John said, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. He preached that true repentance should have deeds that give evidence that that repentance is real. Amen? And this isn't even, this isn't even a message showing that repentance has to be fruitful. That's a whole, I've done that before. This is a message I've never done before in the 30 years I've passed or I've mentioned verses like this and I've taught on it from here and there. I've never done a whole message showing you that salvation, forgiveness of sins, escaping uh, eternal torment and perishing is all, repentance is absolutely necessary, okay? So go to 2 Corinthians chapter seven. 2 Corinthians chapter seven, verse 10, okay? It says, godly sorrow, godly sorrow brings what? Repentance, which leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. The New Living Translation says brings spiritual death because it's contrasted with salvation. So uh, I'm quoting, I think, you know, a couple different translations. The NIV mixed with the ESV. Uh, and I have the NASB in front of me, but I like the translation uh, where it states in the NIV that godly sorrow leads to or or brings but esv has produces so godly sorrow produces repentance if you're truly sorry for your sin because you offended god you've sinned against him it'll produce repentance okay which leads to salvation see how repentance is tied to salvation okay leaving no regret you won't be bummed out because you have eternal life right but worldly sorrow you're sorry because you got caught oh, what a bummer, I got caught, leads to death, or as the New Living Translation says, spiritual death, because that's the context. It's more of a, a little bit of a paraphrase there. The new, uh, it's, you know, New Living Translation, they call it, but it's very good translation in a lot of ways. So this is, these are passage after passage I'm giving you, showing you that salvation, you have to repent to be saved. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 and 21. This is a big one. Because the church of Corinth was warned in 1 Corinthians that be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor drunkards, and thieves, and extortioners, and revilers, and so forth. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived about it. And guess what? The church is deceived about it. Thousands of pastors are teaching their congregations that you can live like that, and you will still enter the kingdom of heaven. God just might take you to heaven early as a disciplinary measure. That's what some are teaching. Oh, yeah, you could be an adulterer, but God might punish you by taking you to heaven early. Does that sound like a punishment, folks? Okay, that's a lie. Because Paul says, be not deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he goes on, either fornicators, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, drunkards, all these guys. You guys, this is serious stuff. He's warning them, right? He's warning them. Or they'll say, well, you'll lose some rewards. You know, that's a lie. It's not just rewards. Okay, you'll forfeit. The Bible says, "Don't be deceived. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. You forfeit the kingdom of God." It's so important to understand this, man. In Galatians five nineteen through twenty one, Paul gives a vice list, and he says, "I warn you. Isn't even I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God?" Then in chapter six verses nineteen and nine and ten, he says seven through nine actually. He says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. He that sows the flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. But he that sows the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And we shall reap if we do not grow weary. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, let no one deceive you with vain words. You see, it's a deception that's out there. It was even a deception in the early church that you didn't need to repent. That you didn't need to turn from your sin. And you can still be saved. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, you know, around verse 4 through 8 or so, where he says, you know, Let no one deceive you with vain words. These are vain words. They're deceptive words. He talks about those who practice sin again, live wicked lives, have no inheritance, he says, in the kingdom of Christ. But he says, but you are light in the Lord. And then he warns them, don't be partakers of, with the children of darkness, of the wrath of God. That's what he's saying there. It's very clear. So we have these warnings over and over and over again throughout the scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he's already warned the Corinthians and 1 Corinthians that those who live these wicked lives and refuse to repent will not inherit the kingdom. And then in chapter 12, verse 20 and 21, he says, I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish that may be found by you, not to be what you wish, because he's going to come with a rod, he says, with discipline as an apostle. Paul had apostolic authority that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, Anger, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. Verse 21. I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you and I may mourn. I may mourn. That's a word used at a funeral for people who have died. That I may mourn over many of those who have sinned. Many of those who have sinned in the past and have what? Not repented of the impurity. Haven't turned from it. Immorality and sensuality which they have what what's the last word there NSB last word is practiced it's about practicing rebellion and refusing to repent in fact in chapter 13 the very just a few verses later verse 5 paul says test yourselves to see if you are in the faith examine yourselves or do you not recognize this about yourselves that jesus christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test and that word "fail the test" is from one Greek word, "adokimos," and that's a word that Paul says means to be without Christ. Look at verse five: "Christ is in you, unless you are adokimos." And First Corinthians nine twenty-seven in Paul's letter before Second Corinthians, he says, "I beat my body down, so after I preach the gospel of salvation to others, I myself would not become adokimos." Okay, he took it this very, very seriously. And I want to say a lot more about 13.5 because that's, I've been working on a little series on that and that, this became a sub-part of that series. And I said, you know what? This is not a sub-part, man. This is a whole message. Then we get to this little series. I'll refer to this a couple times so you remember yeah, That's right. Because it'll fit in really well. This is, brothers and sisters, would you rather me just preach a soft message, a couple verses and pat you on the back and say, nice day. Or do you love the truth, man? Praise God. Is only people in the front love the truth? How about you guys in the back? I I can see, I can't hear you guys good. Amen, man. I know you guys do too. How much you love the truth in the back? No, I'm just kidding. I'll get you guys going against each other. I don't want to make you guys compete. Amen. Preach it, the brother says and the sister. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 9 and 10, Paul talks about how the church of Thessalonica had repented or turned to the Lord from idols. And we read away from the wrath of God. Verse 9, For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you. And how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. I love that. Paul, after warning about a couple of false, false teachers in Second Timothy chapter 2 who were teaching full preterism. Full preterism is a very popular heresy today which teaches, teaches that the end times have already happened and they're already fulfilled and that we even already have our, our resurrection how ridiculous is that? How many have an ulcer or a backache and you're saying, man, I don't feel very raised from the dead. Amen? Well, these guys were saying that the resurrection had already come to pass and they were overthrowing the faith of some, these false teachers. Well, Paul mentions, you know, that that to Timothy to try to restore them in a, with gentleness and pr- that God may give them repentance, that he could use Timothy to do that perhaps. The Lord's bondservant, Paul writes to Timothy in verse 24 of chapter 2, Must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. So, Paul's bondservant, God's bondservant, Timothy, God may use you to bring them to repentance. To repentance. Grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. By the way, the knowledge of the truth is salvation. 1 Timothy 2.5 Two five says that God wills that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 26, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. In Hebrews chapter six, it talks about how people can turn away from the Lord and they can become so hardened and so apostate that their hearts become so hardened against Christ and his gospel that it's impossible to renew them again to repentance Again the repentance signifies that they had repented at one time, but then they fell away. And he says in Hebrews six, six through eight, and they have, and then have fallen away. That's after they've received the Holy Spirit and tasted the heavenly gift, all these wonderful things and then have fallen away, verse six, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified themselves the son of God and put into open shame for the ground that drinks the rain which once falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is tilled receives a blessing from God like the peril of the sower, right? Verse eight, but if it yields thorns and thistles it is worthless and close to being cursed and it ends up being burned. That's serious stuff, folks. That's not salvation. That's opposite salvation it's very, very clear that repentance is required for salvation. If you're saying, hey, have I gone too far in my apostasy where it's impossible for me to repent? No, not if you repent. <laughs> He's talking about those whose hearts are so hard in Hebrews chapter 3, a few chapters later, talks about you can harden your heart so much against the Lord that you don't hear his voice anymore. You don't turn from sin anymore. You don't want to repent. But if you desire to repent, you're seeking God. That means you haven't been that hardened. Okay, thank God. Now, James chapter one verse twenty-two, it talks about the need to turn from sin to and receive the word of God for your soul to be saved. James chapter one, verse twenty-two, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. Suke, the Greek word for souls. And at the end of the epistle of James, he warns this My brethren, if any of you turns from the truth, a brother, for brother turns from the truth and one converts him or brings him back to the truth, he will save his soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. Catch that? Now in James 1.22, repent, turn from this wickedness, right? Receive the word which is able to what? Save your suke, right? Your souls. And then in James 5.19.20, brethren, Christians, if any of you turn from the truth, the truth that is able to save your soul, right? And one brings him back he'll save his soul same greek word only used twice 122 in james five 19, 20 he'll save his soul from death and hide a multitude of sins meaning his sins will be forgiven and he'll be right with god again his soul will be saved but he has to come back in second peter 3 9 right god warns to the apostle peter that god's not willing that any would perish that means go to hell god's not willing that any would perish but that all would come to what repentance amen in fact, you know what? If you just need one verse, because a lot of you know that verse, right? Because it's such a beautiful verse because it, it says that God doesn't will that any would perish. It shows his great love, amen? And somebody says, where's a verse that teaches that you have to repent or you'll go to hell? Well, Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll all likewise what? Perish. Peter said, that's uh, Luke thirteen three and 13, 5. And Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 9, God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. You have to come to repentance if you're not going to perish. That's three verses right there, Luke 13, 3, 13, 5, and 2 Peter 3, 9. If you want to just write three down, those would be good ones to memorize. These are the things we should memorize in the body of Christ these days because we need to speak the truth. And for everyone that has a question, we need to have an answer and to answer with reverence, right, with respect and gentleness, but in love because the truth is under assault today and the gospel is being twisted left and right because Satan is doing a great job at keeping people blinded to the fact that they need to repent to be saved. I have not looked at my clock for a while. So I'm looking. I got some time, don't I? A little bit. (laughs) Don't say that, bro. I might take advantage of it. Then I'll have to repent later. So I don't want to do that. Uh, Tell me I got a couple hours, you know. Uh, Revelation. Well, you know what? I wrote down a few verses because I was going to skip 1 John. 1 John because, you know, oh, well, you know, John doesn't really use the word repent. You don't need to use repent, the word repent. To talk about what it means to repent just go to 1st John chapter 2 1st John chapter 2 and I already showed you where Jesus talks about uh, putting trust in the gospel includes turning from darkness to light which is repentance the act of repentance the fruit I should say of repentance so in 1st John there's so many things in 1st John I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read it I mean when we get into testing yourself to see if you're in the faith, which we ought to do, and we're gonna get into a little couple messages on that down the road I've got all these series right we're doing, which I think are all very important very important and vital. But if you go to first John chapter two, first John chapter two, verse four. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is what? A liar, and the truth is not in him. You catch that? that? I don't know how much clearer it can get. You say, oh, I know the Lord, but hey. You know? And I think it's in the perfect tense. There know Him. I've come to know Him and continue to know Him. Really? If that's true, how come you're not keeping His commandments, John says. In other words, you haven't repented. You're not seeing any fruit of repentance in your life. Look at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 9, verse 8. The one who practices sin... The one who practices sin, that means you're not repenting, is of who? The devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God, and that's in the perfect tense. No one who, who is born of God and continues to be born of God, is what it means in the Greek. That's where the perfect tense starts and it continues. No one who is born of God and continues to be born of God, even, even at this point, right, practices sin because his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, he's not saying you won't fall into sin ever. Because in 1 John 1, 9, the very first chapter, he says, if you say without sin, you're a liar and the truth is in you. And 1 John 1, 9, that's 1, 8. And then 1, 9 says, uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. And 1 John chapter 2 says, uh, I write these things that you don't sin, the first couple of verses. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So the same book does let us know that we can receive cleansing when we fall into sin, but he warns very strongly that you can't be in rebellion to God and claim to to stand born again, to stand born of God, to be presently born of God, to have been born of God and continue to be born of God. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed, that's his word, abides in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. I mean, if you're born of God and his seed, his word, Remember the seed of the sower of the gospel is abiding in you? You can't be living in right rebellion to God. If you're living in rebellion to God, his seed is not abiding in you at that time, is it? So you have to make a choice. Can you can be filled with your own ways. The Bible says the backslider, the backslider is filled with his own ways. Or you're going to be filled with God's word. Take your pick. But if you're in rebellion to God right now and you're listening by way of live stream or YouTube or you're hearing the congregation or you're hearing a message on CD later or however you're hearing it and you're filled with your own ways, you're backslidden. You need to repent and say, God, have mercy on me. I can't believe it. My life's a sham. I I repent. I turn from my life of rebellion against you, and I ask you for cleansing, right? If you come to him, it says he will abundantly pardon you, right? And he'll forgive you all of your sins. Brethren, if any of you turn from the faith and one brings him back, he'll save his soul from death and out of multitude of sins. But you have to make a choice. You have to love Jesus more than your rebellion. You have to love Jesus more than the pleasures of this world, more than the sin that this world offers, you have to make a choice to put Jesus Christ first in your life and truly live for him. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, we read, uh, by the way, some people think, oh, repentance is just for the world. That's another lie. Repentance is also for the church. What do what we read the, to the Corinthians, right? What we, by Paul, right? Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, 21. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you have letters from Jesus to seven churches. Five of the seven churches are called to repentance. And boy, oh boy, does the church need to repent today, man. You have a lot of people that are just living as hypocrites, not following the Lord, doing their own thing, and rebelling to God, not loving the Lord God, not loving their brothers and sisters in Christ, not loving the lost. We need to get right with God, man. To five of the seven churches, he warns them they need to repent. Eight times to those five churches, he preaches they need to repent. And to the church at Sardis, which is a sleepy church, which has a name that they're alive, but they're dead and they're supposed to strengthen those things that remain. He says in verse 3, he says in verse 3, remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I come to you. So, if they don't wake up and repent, he's going to come like a thief. And many of these warnings to the churches are. Not only to these churches, but he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we be prepared for the end times. So we be prepared when Christ comes back. So he doesn't come upon us like a thief and we're destroyed and put with the unbelievers in the lake of fire. But so we abide in Christ and are ready when he comes. But you have a few people, he says in Sardis, who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes, he overcomes with us, be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. That's heavy, man. In Revelation chapter 9. In Revelation chapter 9. After a series of devastating trumpet judgments during the tribulation period, which is upcoming before the second coming of Christ. And we are going through crazy things right now in this world. Amen. And the seals will be opened, the trumpets will be opened eventually, the bowls just be opened within a three and a half year period of time. And after a series of trumpet judgments fall upon the earth, guess what happens? Well, they still refuse to repent. Revelation chapter 9, verse 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, and many were killed by these plagues. Okay, about half the earth. We add up those who were killed by the seal judgments and those who were killed by... Under the trumpet judgments, you have like half of the human population. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not what? They did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. Wow. Then you go to Revelation chapter 16, if you will. And now this is right way into the bowl judgments, that the fourth and the fifth bowl judgment, right before the end of the tribulation when Jesus Christ comes back. And we read, the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Talk about global warming, man. It's gonna get, be real, it's gonna be global burning. Verse nine, men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who had power over these plagues. And they did not what? They did not what? They did not repent as to give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became darkened and they gnawed their tongues because of pain and they blasphemed God, the God of heaven, I'm sorry, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and they did not repent of their deeds. Don't let anybody ever tell you that repentance doesn't mean turning from evil deeds, okay? Okay. That's unbiblical to say, oh, it just means to change your mind about who Jesus is and just believe that he died for you. James says the demons believe and tremble, right? But faith without works is dead. That's not saving faith. The demons have that kind of faith, okay? True faith is accompanied with repentance. It's a turning in the heart from a life of rebellion against God, a change of heart, a change of mind about your sin and about Christ and about who you're going to serve, about who you're going to follow. And it's turning in your heart from a life of rebellion to the living Christ. To put your faith and trust in him. Amen. And when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, what happens? He changes your heart. He changes your life. Amen. And all of a sudden you find the power and the ability to do his will. Amen. Repentance does not mean just being sorry. The Bible says worldly sorrow leads to what? Death. And we're going to talk about this a whole other time. Because a whole other message, what, when you look at what repentance is, it's really heavy. Because we're talking more about the salvation that's tied to repentance. But repentance isn't doing a bunch of good things, okay? Doing good things, just like faith isn't doing a bunch of good things. Faith without works is dead. The works are evidence of faith, amen? Your changed life and the fruit of your life and those doing those good things after repentance is the evidence of your repentance. Your repentance is your cha- simply your change of heart and change of mind about sin and your relationship to it and in your heart turning to Jesus Christ from that rebellion and putting your trust in him amen and when you truly put your trust in him you put your faith in Christ the Bible tells us that you are forgiven of your sins you're justified amen you're you're declared righteous you're robed in the righteousness of Christ who died for you and paid for your sins you're declared righteous because of what he did on the cross on your behalf amen and then when you're declared righteous then the Holy Spirit comes to live in you and that's called regeneration amen you're born again, amen. God lives in you. You've received new life, the life that you were separated from because of your sin. Now you have new life in Christ, amen. And because the Holy Spirit lives in you, you become a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away and all things become what? New. Now you, be, now you have the strength and the power because God lives in you, the hope of glory, Father, Son, Holy Spirit live in you and they empower you to do good works, amen. He, in fact, it says in, in Philippians chapter two, verse 12 and 13, that work out your salvation with fear and trembling, not work for your salvation. Salvation is a gift, but work it out now with fear and trembling for it's God that is in you who works in you to will and do his good purpose. So when you embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Lord comes into you and he gives you, he, 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 he transforms your will to do his will. Amen. And to, perform, and to perform works that glorify him. But that's a fruit of repentance. That's not repentance. That's the fruit of repentance is what it looks like after you've turned to Christ. Amen? So it's repentance is and I'm going to clean my whole life up, man. And then maybe God will accept me when I'm perfect. That's not repentance. Repentance is recognizing I can't make a, have a perfect life. Amen? I have to turn from this ugliness because that I'm trusting in and I'm walking in to Christ who can save me from these things. He'll forgive me and he'll give me the strength, what? To walk in newness of life. Amen? So the life is in Christ. Repentance is turning from the road of death and destruction to embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior who gives you the new life and then the fruit will come. Amen? Amen. And I just wanted to clarify that because sometimes people think repentance means, you know, cleaning yourself up so much that maybe God will accept you. No. Repentance, he calls you to come to him. You just simply need to come to him. Amen? Say, I'm not walking down that road of rebellion anymore. I'm turning to him. And then he gives you the strength to live the new life he calls us to. Amen? Has this message made sense to you guys? Okay, is it pretty clear, or do we need to go through even more verses, that salvation, that repentance is tied to salvation? Amen? Faith without works is what? Faith without works is what? Repentance without fruit is what? Dead. Repentance without fruit is what? Dead. Amen. Amen. So brothers and sisters, man, I know that God has called me to share the truth in these times and I know he's risen up people that love the truth and he always has a remnant amen but be among that remnant who loves the truth and does not want your ears to be tickled and told because the Bible says in the last days it says preach the word in season and out of season reprove, rebuke and exhort with all sound doctrine amen with truth and sound doctrine for the time will come when they won't heed sound doctrine but after their own lust they'll heap themselves many teachers will tickle the ears and tell them what they want to hear and the reason there are so many teachers tick, you know, telling people what they want to hear is because there's so many people that want their ears tickled. Okay, don't be among them. Love the truth, amen? If you, and I praise God that there are people that love the truth and praise the Lord. We read in the book of Revelation, amidst all the chaos and all the ugliness and all the people that refuse to repent, there's still a great multitude, Revelation chapter seven, from all nations, people, and tongue that can't even be numbered who have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Put your trust in Jesus. Salvation comes through faith in Him. Can we all please stand?